everyone. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the anime episodes 13 through 15 and the equivalent manga chapters of 30 through 37. And now we're on our way to the climax of the Syrup Village arc with the main players on both sides making their appearances finally and the fighting will finally begin. So let's get started with the synopsis. Luffy and Zoro finally make it to the correct battlefield, but Luffy is immediately incapacitated by Jango's hypnosis after going on a berserker rage due to another hypnosis of Jango trying to rally his uh, subordinates. And it's up to Zoro himself to take out the Kuro pirates' enforcers, Miaoban brothers, Butch and Shamu. Kuro then arrives to see that his plan is being bungled by Jango and his crew, and is absolutely furious at this. He gives them all an ultimatum to either take care of Luffy and the gang or be killed by him. Kaya then arrives to confront Kuro, but is put in danger as Jango gives chase while Usopp orders the Usopp pirate crew to run and protect Kaya. When things seem to be at their worst, Nami manages to get Zoro's swords back and wake up Luffy as well. Zoro manages to easily take care of the Miaoban brothers and together with Usopp give chase to save Kaya and the kids while Luffy gears up to take on Kuro one-on-one. So yeah, it's a pretty action-packed set of episodes. Now let's move on to the differences. So there are two big ones, I think. So when Nami wakes up Luffy, in the anime, he is facing forward and he just drags Nami down so that she gets avoid uh, hitting the chakram that Jango throws at her. And he catches it in his mouth and just kind of like bites down on it and breaks it. But in the manga, this is actually much more brutal in that when Luffy wakes up, he doesn't necessarily drag Nami down. He just kind of wakes up and he's facing the other direction. And so the chakram just sort of hits Luffy in the back of the head vertically and just sort of like embeds itself into his skull and this blood splurts out. And presumably this again was changed for the sake of toning down the amount of gruesome violence as it literally just goes into his head and then blood just starts splurting out. Um, I will admit this makes him, I don't know if it's really more or less badass. I, I guess it's really just down to preference. I don't really mind either version, to be honest. This one definitely makes Luffy seem more durable, though as he just takes a huge hit to his head and still just kind of like shakes it off. Uh, I think this scene is a lot more funnier in the manga, though, because of how oblivious he is to that chakram hitting his head. The other different scene was when in the anime, Usopp picks up the gun that Kaya brought that she dropped on the ground and tries to shoot Kuro because of all the mental anguish he's causing Kaya. But in the manga, he actually, instead of picking up the gun, he just lunges at him and tries to punch him with his bare hand. And I honestly don't know why they changed this because it makes Usopp that much more badass that he'd be willing to go after Kuro with his bare hands. And the panel of this moment is so much cooler in the manga than it is in the anime which kind of just he slow motion rises up from the ground picking up the gun and just aims it and that's it but this scene is way more I guess more intense in the manga as his like eyes are like bulging out as he's lunging at Kuro with his fist this is one moment I wish they hadn't changed because it doesn't really make sense why they would change it and it kind of makes the scene slightly worse off 
Anyways, those are really the only two big changes I would say happens in these three episodes. Now on to my thoughts on the episode. So the combat finally gets going here and we start with just Luffy being Luffy and charging in with his Gomu Gomu no Gatling and takes out pretty much all the henchmen. And this is where the payoff of Jango's hypnosis jokes come in. And Jango's he powers up his men with the whole mind over matter hypnosis by making them stronger or they think they're stronger. But Luffy, being the curious, simple-minded guy he is, obviously gets hypnotized as well because he's staring at that uh, ring. And instead of just gaining a power boost, Luffy just kind of goes on this feral animal mode berserker rage and starts growling and seemingly lose control of himself. And it's pretty funny just hearing him growl like that. And this whole sequence is so funny as he just rushes past all the beat up guys and goes for the figurehead of Kuro's ship, which is that big black cat. And I love the little detail of the sweat bead on the cat figurehead as if it's alive and is scared about what's about to happen. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty funny. It almost seems like it's alive. This combined with Kuro's henchmen at first being relieved that Luffy wasn't actually after them but then soon realized that the reason Luffy went for the massive figurehead was to rip it off and beat the living hell out of all of them with it. And the henchmen's reaction at that fact and how sad and scared they are is pretty funny as well. This entire sequence is just laugh out loud hilarious. And then throughout all of this, Jungo is just kind of standing there watching in awe at what he's seeing Luffy do, but then is reminded he needs to do something. So he puts Luffy to sleep again with, with hypnosis. And that sound effect is, this is one of the reasons why the anime is great, is that the sound effect of Luffy's muscles deflating just always kills me. That, and then also notice here that Jungo actually learns from his mistakes and he uses his hat to cover his eyes so he doesn't get caught in the hypnosis and... I like that little little um, character growth there. With Luffy out of the fight, it's up to Zoro. But then Jango calls in the Miaoban brothers, Butch and Shamu. This crew went all in on the cat theme. <laughs> I mean, God, it's just all cats. Zoro is immediately tricked by Shamu and loses two of his swords. Between Zoro falling down the hill and now the loss of his swords, Oda always seems to find ways to handicap Zoro. Just like he did with the fight with Kabaji, he just has him already injured to make his fights have tension and make them seem more interesting, but also avoiding diminishing just how strong Zoro actually is for some of his tougher challenges later on. The weird thing is, I don't think I noticed this on my first go around. I never thought to myself, ugh. Why is Zoro never shown fighting full on, especially as we are now on his third go around? To me, this is because Oda does a great job with characters. He does that so well that even if the combat may not be as epic or intense as other series, One Piece gets you so invested in the situation and the characters, you care more about what's going on in the interactions and what's going on in their head. And for example, here we learn quite a bit about Zoro's character. First, his kindness is on display here again. He doesn't want to meaninglessly kill Shamu while he thinks he's just this weak and pathetic guy running at him and trying to attack him because his captain told him to. Also, during the fight, we hear his inner dialogue about he's far stronger with multiple swords and why having three swords is actually important to him. And we'll also go on to later learn what difference between having just three swords and one sword and what that actually means to Zoro and why he becomes so much stronger with them. And it's not just about, I have more swords, therefore I'm stronger. And one thing I love about this is that for the future, this sets up a sort of seriousness 
gauge for Zoro, if you will. Like, we know how serious Zoro is when he's fighting, based on how many swords he's using. We know that when Zoro has one sword drawn, he's pretty much not trying, but on guard. When he's got two swords, he's fighting normally, but kind of getting warmed up. When he's got three swords, you know he's fighting pretty hard. And finally, when he's got all three swords drawn and he puts on his bandana, he's going full on and shit's about to go down with Zoro. That's when you get really excited. And lastly, we get to see how good a combat and strategic sense he has by him thinking about Usopp and Nami's well-being despite him struggling two verse one with one sword by taking the pachinko from Usopp and getting slashed as a result. It shows he takes his responsibility as being one of the stronger crew members and having to protect everyone else pretty seriously. And that's another quality of Zoro that I like and why he's my favorite character in the series. But yeah, seeing all this crammed into just like, I don't know, a three minute sequence and you get all of this information about Zoro without even really thinking about it. Like no one's actually expositing this information to you. It's all given organically. And if you just pay attention, you kind of get a sense of who Zoro is and what he's capable of. And this happens throughout the entire series and I love it because there are times when the narrator or characters have to just sort of dump exposition out to explain things because of how weird some of the things that One Piece has. But one thing that Oda is so good about is his characters and it's never just people telling you about a character. He shows you why they're so cool or what makes them tick. Next we get Nami entering in the fight and sacrificing herself to try and get Zoro's swords for him. Of course, we get more of Nami's caring nature coming through her selfish veneer and also her quickly assessing that if they're going to win, Zoro is going to need his swords. So Nami goes for the swords but gets slashed by Jango's chakram and goes down. And that right there is why you never notice the seemingly simple combat sequences because there's just so much more to see in regards to the characters. And of course, after Nami goes down and everything seems like it couldn't get any worse, it does. By having Kuro show up all pissed off. And that right there, my friends, is incredible tension building. Now this next part actually surprised me on when I first originally read this story because it goes in a direction I didn't expect by having the Mialban brothers believing that Kuro has gone soft and is weaker. After that, they decide to attack Kuro, but obviously Kuro is still a fearsome as ever and easily subdues them. It sets us up in helping us understand the stakes here with what, just what kind of main villain we're dealing with. We see we see it in comparison to two guys Zoro was having trouble with and this guy who just kind of toys with them. So we now know that Kuro is stronger than any point we've faced yet. I think it's interesting here because Oda inserts some really small and subtle character building with this scene because I always felt like the reason the Miyabun brothers are pissed at Kuro and attack him is because they kind of resent him for abandoning them for just money and, and a boring and peaceful life as well as their overconfidence and stupidity as well. So it's like he gives these small little character building moments to even characters that don't really have too much screen time or page time. Skipping ahead a tiny bit, let's talk quickly about Kuro's flashback because Oda is already using past elements and interweaving them in a really cool way. Here we discover that Kuro's plan, he has a marine soldier take a lookalike 
to be executed so that the Marines stop coming after his bounty. But that Marine he selects is none other than Morgan. Captain Morgan, our very first villain. Here we learn the reason why someone like Morgan got the rank of captain in his own base, which to us was obviously unearned and handed to him. But we find out that it was handed to him by a pirate, no less. In addition, we learn the reason he has that metal jaw and the axe hand is because Kuro broke his jaw and cut off his arm in the attack. Like, this level of detail is just insane to me. And this is just a small taste of how Oda does these interweaving callbacks. I cannot wait to show and talk to you about some of the other ones in the future down the line. Also, I have to mention, Kuro's weapons are pretty crazy and unique. I don't think I've, I mean, I guess there are things similar. I mean, Wolverine, I guess, but yeah, it's just such a weird weapon. And I can't imagine how strong his fingers are to be able to lift up like these full-on blades up with each finger. Like if you ever hold, held a sword, you know how just one sword is strong or heavy. And then he's holding up one with each finger, which is insane to me. At this point, Nami again with her quick thinking uses this, this opportunity while everyone's distracted to kick Zoro's swords to him, which he's pissed off about, but very thankful. As well, go wake up Luffy by stomping on his face. <laughs> It's interesting here because Nami was ready to put her life on the line and she would have died here if not for the luck of Luffy dragging her down on accident and taking the bladed chakram to the face. More and more I'm starting to really like Nami a lot with moments like this. And Zoro with three swords again finally quickly takes care of the Miyabon brothers with a new move Toragari or Tiger Hunter I believe is how it's translated which just further highlights just how much stronger Zoro is when using his three sword style techniques. Like it doesn't even compare a minute ago he was struggling pretty hard and here he just takes them out in one hit. And then to kind of now tr backtrack a bit we find that Mary is still alive miraculously. I, God I don't even know how he survives that but we are glad to see he's okay. After talking it out with Kaya, Kaya decides to head to the coast to give up her fortune in, ho in the hopes that Kuro will just leave the island alone. Kaya and the Usopp pirate crew kids show up to raise the stakes even more with, with more people now in danger, but his exchange with Kaya just shows how much of a betrayal it was to her. And if we didn't hate him already, we certainly do now, because God, it's... I mean, you can just see the heartbreak and betrayal in Kaya's face. But we do see Kaya trying to do her best to convince Kuro to leave the island, but Kuro uses their past relationship together and really we do see how much of a betrayal this is for Kaya as she sees just how evil and cruel this person is in stark contrast to the man she thought she knew in Kurahado and eventually is just overcome with shock and grief and can't even bring herself to kill him. Seeing just how sinister Kuro's manipulative ways are and how broken Kaya is, especially in her already depressed and weakened state, Usopp jumps in headfirst and attacks Kuro out of rage. This part highlights that when he needs to be, Usopp is brave. I mean, he is attacking full on outright a man that he is no match for whatsoever, but still does it anyways to protect and avenge her, his friend. And I'm gonna discuss this point a little bit more probably on the next episode. But then obviously Kuro overpowers U Usopp, or not overpowers, but outspeeds him. 
and gets in behind him and is just about ready to take him out. And then we see that punch, one of the most satisfying punches. That first one from Luffy is just so awesome, like how his face just kind of twists and then gets blown back. I mean, it looks awesome. I give a lot of crap for some of the way the an- the action is animated in the anime, but this punch was done really well. And I love how literal Luffy is after hearing Kuro say to Usopp how he sort of still resents him for punching him in the yard and then Luffy is just like if if you hate being punched so much I'll punch you like a hundred times more (laughs) the classic Luffy insult just straight to the point after this Jango orders Butch to attack Zoro as he's been powered up by again by Jango's hypnosis so that Jango can pursue Kaya and the fighting resumes with Butch getting back up to attack and finish off Zoro but obviously having lost to him already he just completely destroys him yet again. While Kuro's down the Usopp pirate crew show up to beat up on him of course doing no damage and unwilling to leave Usopp's side even when Usopp tells them it's too dangerous and to run away. This is where we get a cool moment from Usopp when he instead orders the kids to protect Kaya and then run. This just shows that Usopp's lies can be used for a good purpose and he is good at using them when it counts and I love that Zoro even recognizes this and gives him props. Usopp wanting to go help the kids and Kaya he tries to get up at this point but his body is too beat up to move and Kuro and his crew start to mock him and laugh at him. This moment is awesome because we again get to see another aspect of what's important to Luffy as we see in a rare moment of him get truly pissed off and it's when his friends ambitions and their honor gets disrespected. So we see Zoro pick up Usopp and together they chase after Jango. I like that this kind of seems like Zoro taking pity on Usopp but knowing Zoro's lack of direction, I think he was being genuine when he says he would be unable to find them if he went alone. We see the beginning of Luffy versus Kuro and quickly it's apparent that this is going to be a match of brute strength versus speed and tactics as Kuro just speeds all over Luffy avoiding his attacks. However, we do get a glimpse that Luffy is no idiot when it comes to combat as he outsmarts Kuro by picking up a boulder to catch one one set of Kuro's claws and break them off. I mean, this was kind of an obvious conclusion but Luffy's strength doesn't just come from his devil fruit. He's actually just crazy physically strong as well and we get a throwaway line of dialogue that it was through training. Of course, we'd all like to see what kind of training makes a scrawny guy like Luffy have this kind of strength to be able to pick up boulders five times his size and fling them around like it's nothing. I mean, I've already seen that training, but I'll I'll let you discover that for yourselves. But we do start to kind of understand why Luffy's attacks hit with such force despite his devil fruit just giving him rubber qualities. Finally, I like this little exchange at the end of the episode with Luffy saying to Kuro that you can't be a pirate and not be willing to take the infamy and notoriety that comes with it. To me, I always loved one of One Piece's big themes, taking pride and responsibility in your actions and that things you do have consequences and costs associated with it. And if you want something, you better be prepared to accept those consequences and pay those costs. Nothing worth having comes free or easy. And Luffy pointing that out to Kuro in his hypocrisy of wanting the wealth and power of being a pirate but none of the consequences of becoming a wanted man and being hunted was great to see because it highlights that Luffy understands this really well and not only that it seems like he's excited about that and relishes it. This makes Luffy even more badass and lovable. But yeah this idea of just knowing that if you want something it's going to take work and it's going to have consequences and costs associated with it. 
And the only way to achieve those things is to be able to be prepared to accept those and take responsibility for all of that. Which is something I still use in my life today too. When I, whenever I think back to this scene, with that we end our rewatch of episodes thirteen through fifteen. These episodes are definitely a step up from the last three episodes. Getting back to that awesome level of entertainment that we know the series has been thus far. The fighting and the tension were really awesome, but to me it's always the character building that occurs between the action that keeps me coming back to One Piece. And this episode is a great example of that. Or these three episodes, I should say. On the next episode, we will be going over the conclusion of the Syrup Village arc with the formal introduction of not one, but two crew members, maybe? If you enjoyed this, send me a like or a comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Also, check out my newly made Instagram and Twitter accounts at SunnyGoPodcast. If you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection, be sure to check those out as well. As always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast and I hope to see you on the next episode. And for those of you that would like to stay for the spoiler section, that will be coming up next. But for everybody else, see ya! So, two things that I wanted to mention in this uh, spoiler section. The technique that that Kuro uses, the nukiyashi or the stealth foot or pussy foot or however it's translated, depending on where you actually saw this or read it, is much like a precursor to the Rokushuki Soru ability. By the time we get to Water 7 and NES Lobby, we see that the CP9 have a particular technique that allows them to move at super speed called Soru. And when Luffy is battling Bruno at NES lobby he mentions he figured out how to perform soru while in gear second as he observed that the cp9 members seem to do this by kicking the ground many times really quickly to generate the speed and kuro's ability seems to be a slower unrefined version of this because we can see his feet still kicking the ground and obviously he's not moving as quickly nor does he really have control especially in the next episode we see him use that technique shakshi and he just kind of like like blindly slashes everywhere at hyper speeds but yeah i like that this is kind of connected i don't know if it was intentional or not but it it is seemed like these are very similar techniques and they were built on each other and then also as i mentioned earlier in the episode we do get to see luffy's psychotic training at the hands of garp in the flashback after the marine ford arc and why luffy is so durable and physically strong much much later on it really does do a good job of establishing luffy's brute strength and but we'll discuss that more when we get to that point in the story way later i mean we're talking like five episodes 500 as you all know if you've seen i mean hopefully if you're listening to this spoiler section you haven't just jumped ahead and started listening to these spoilers but yeah that's pretty much all i really wanted to talk about another thing i guess is just seeing zoro surprised at how butch um can pick up a boulder that that big but then in in alabasta just like a hundred episodes later you we see zoro lifting a fucking building over his head and then throwing it at mr one <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's fun It's fun to watch some of these older episodes after you've seen the new ones. And it's pretty crazy, um, the, the things that change and just characters' reactions to different um, strength levels and notoriety. 
But yeah, so that's kind of really all I wanted to talk about. And thanks for listening to the spoiler section for those of you who did. And I will see you on the next episode. See ya.